By now you'll have heard or seen that I'm working with a new golf app called Tangent, who are also sponsoring this show. It's the smartest AI caddy in golf and is able to recommend not only clubs to hit, but target locations based on the math behind strokes gained and your own personal shot patterns. Unlike many other shot trackers, it also takes into account and adjusts for hazards that are out there. It has sensorless tracking with an amazing automatic swing detection that you can use with your Apple Watch or your phone without any need to buy any attachments for your clubs. And my favorite part, the post-round analysis data helps you immediately see where you can improve and gives you simple breakdowns that you can dive into if you want much more detail about your stats. It then links this data to recommendations and actual practice drills that you can use to improve. Getting measurable data for both on-course and practice drills makes Tangent one of the best game improvement ecosystems that I've ever seen. So download Tangent for free on the Apple App Store or at tangent.golf and use promo code SWEET30, that's S-W-E-E-T-3-0, for 30% off. So you'll get a free trial, and if you like it and want to continue, it'll give you 30% off a subscription. So just try it out, play a few rounds with it, and I know you'll love it. So that's Tangent, T-A-N-G-E-N-T, and enter code SWEET30. Welcome back to another episode of the Sweet Spot Podcast. I'm John Sherman from Practical Golf, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host... Adam Young from AdamYoungGolf.com. I always add the golf.com and I always add, I'm, st- I'm such a, is it a boomer? I'm still adding the www dot whenever I tell someone my website. That is definitely boomer activity, but that's okay. So I'm losing track of our episodes here. I think this is episode nine, but as we say in all episodes, it doesn't really matter. We're, we're building a evergreen library of content for golfers out there. So if this is your first episode, you can go back in the library. There's no sequence. And we keep using the word toolbox. We're trying to help build golfers' toolboxes on this podcast, right, Adam? Yeah. Do we have a jingle yet? That's more important, right? Yeah, we need a jingle too. But prior episodes, we've been talking a lot about you know, ball striking and what makes a good shot. We've talked a little bit about strategy and practice, and we've gotten a ton of comments already on that that's helping golfers, which is wonderful to hear. But this episode, we're going to, we're going to take a little detour into the mental game because, you know, when we talk about building a golfer's toolbox and all of the things that they need to access while they're playing to play their best, the topic we're going to discuss today is kind of near and dear to my heart. We're going to be talking about grit and resiliency in your golf game, grinding it out, taking like one of my f- favorite terms is is taking pride in the grind. So we're going to explore this topic a bit. Perhaps we'll get a little philosophical. <laughs> I don't, Adam and I can go on forever if, once we get philosophical, but what is this, what does grit and resiliency mean? I know that's a, a very generic question, but you know, off the top of your head, what does that mean to you and in, in, in your profession of watching golfers, mostly on the lesson tee, but you've done a lot of practice or on-course lessons? Like, What do you think about when, when this comes up? Never giving up. I know there's that, the mindset, Carol Dweck, what is it? Fixed mindset and growth mindset so growth mindset to me has has a little bit to do with it as well or grit has a little bit to do with growth mindset so i suppose if i'm on the lesson tee and i give someone 
a task to do that, you know, any, any kind of change you make is going to be difficult initially. Nothing worth having is easy. And how someone deals with that initial discomfort or that initial difficulty, if they hit one ball and say, it doesn't work, I give up, then that to me is a person with no grit, no grind. Whereas all the best players I see, whether this is learned or instinctive, intuitive to them, uh, if they, they can stand there with a new thing and they can hit a bunch of bad shots initially and they, it doesn't even phase them. It's like they're, they're not bothered about it at all. They're just like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get this. It's almost like a given. Uh, it's just it's a matter of repetitions. So that's that's one form of grit to me or grind. What's What about yourself? What do you think? The reason it's become so important to me and why I talk about it in different ways on Practical Golf is because I just know through my own experience as a golfer and then watching thousands of other golfers, whether it's people I've played recreational rounds with in tournament experience, I just know that if you want to shoot your lowest scores, like if that's your goal, you want to be the best golfer you can be, you know, one thing that doesn't get talked about enough is, you know, what are you going to do when things start going sideways in a round of golf? And they always do. 18 holes is a long time or even nine holes. And even when golfers are playing their best, there's going to be a stretch during the round, whether it's a few shots or multiple holes. And you see this even play out with the pros on TV when things just aren't going well. And I think what separates certain golfers from other golfers and certainly their success in the game in terms of scoring is is their ability to deal with those situations, not let their emotions get out of control, not let negative emotions affect their decision-making process. Because I think what happens is, and, and, and I'll talk about my own personal experiences, a lot of golfers just give up at the first sign of adversity. And it could be early on in the round, and the rest of the day is kind of a wash. You know, they're, they're kind of going through the motions, and worst of all, they're just not enjoying themselves. So when we talk about, you know, grit, toughness, resiliency, whatever you want to call it, I would say it's it's really a prerequisite if you want to become a better golfer, a happier golfer too, because, you know, for a long time, I would just give up on rounds when things weren't going my way and kind of sulk around and I wouldn't score well and I wouldn't enjoy myself. I, I really had no ability to stick with it for a while. Why do you think that happens? Why do you think someone gives up? This is just one of my theories. I think the core of the problem, and it gets to kind of managing expectations in golf, is that the hardest thing to do in golf, I believe, is match up your expectations with your skill level. I think I wrote an article a while back called The Formula for Golf Happiness. And that, essentially, that's what I believe it is, is when you can properly match up your skill level and your expectations, like that's when good things happen on the golf course. And when we talk about grit and giving up, I think a lot of people either don't have the time or the skill level, but have expectations that are too out of whack. So they get on the course and they're thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to shoot X score today, which is really unrealistic. Maybe that's the best score they could shoot. And that the first sign of trouble and they're like, oh, this isn't going to happen then you know the train goes off the tracks, so to speak, and they start kind of losing their emotional fortitude, focus, all of that stuff. And and if you don't have that grit and stick with it and go through kind of the tough times of the round, it's going to be tough to get better at this game. I just believe it's a lot of it has to do with mismanaged expectations. 
Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I I can certainly see how the expectations and reality that deals a lot with anger uh, and happiness, which then leads to whether you you can grind. But I think a lot of it has to do with ego as well. I mean, the the thing is, one of the most apparent examples of this, someone having zero grit, is when they're having a bad round and they have a four-footer left. And what do they do? They walk up, they don't pay any attention to it at all, and they try and tap it in. And I'm not talking about where someone actually expects to tap it in. I'm talking about that length of putt where that person's trying to tap it in because they know, if I look as if I try over this and miss it, that's going to hurt my ego. Whereas if I nonchalantly just step up and miss it, that doesn't hurt my ego as much because I'm showing the world that, oh, I didn't even try for that, therefore I missed it. And that to me is such a telling sign when someone does that. Uh, And I've done it. I'm guilty of it as well. And that's how I can actually inwardly reflect and say why I do that. It's because I'm trying to protect my ego. I don't want to be the person who tried my hardest over that four-footer and missed it because it reflects badly on who I am as a person. Now, that used to be me. Now I'm a different person. I understand that, no, if I miss a four-foot putt, it's not, I'm not a bad person for it, but try telling that to 16-year-old me. And so, yeah, I think, I think a huge part of this is ego as well. I mean, I tell you what, I'm, I'm going to have actually a love-hate, or I do have a love-hate relationship with grit, and I might take the opposing view on this a little bit. So we might have a little argument in this. <laughs> That's perfectly fine. I mean, we should be debating. To not debate your last point, I do agree that ego plays a large part in it, I think. And, and again, guilty is charged. A lot of the times when you give up on the round, you're almost like letting yourself off the hook. You're like, oh, I'm not going to post this score. I'm just going to declare this day a loss. Whereas if you actually stuck with it and tried the last nine holes, you're like, oh, I'm going to be posting a 97 today or something like that. You know, we as golfers, because there's a score attached to our performance at the end of every round, we have to deal with our ego. And yes, I think that does match up with expectations because you have a higher perception of yourself and your skill level in golf. And you're like, oh, I want to be the golfer that goes out there and shoots the 82 every time. But you don't want to accept the fact that you might be the golfer that shoots 100 sometimes as well. And you know what? That's perfectly okay. That is a reasonable score range to have a 20 stroke from your worst to best round or even more. Well, that's how most juniors play, right? It's either a 72 or an NR. (laughs) There's no in between. I used to be a basket case when I was a junior golfer because, I mean, it's hard. You know, you're, you're, you've got all types of hormones running through you. You've got, you know, school obligations and my girlfriend and she broke up with me and I was sulking on the high school team. And then all of a sudden I'm throwing my bag after a bad shot. I've been through it all and I'm not afraid to admit it. I, I've broken a few clubs in rage because, yeah, I didn't have much grit back then. Whatever you want to call it, resiliency, I, I would just kind of give up when I felt things were slipping away. And maybe that was a way to protect my ego. I've found that as I've lost ego, as I've gotten older, so obviously certain things happen in your life. I got deep into philosophy when I was sort of mid-20s, went down a rabbit hole with that before I realized that philosophy actually doesn't have any answers. (laughs) But it was still worth it. 
But yeah, it kind of changes your mindset on a lot of things. And obviously, as you get older, you get things like a wife. I don't have kids yet, but you get a mortgage, you get a job. Other things become more important to you. You know, as I've become more successful in my coaching, I know you've become successful in your business. Golf matters less. And this this is interesting to me because in my life, golf is still a big thing, right? Because although I've been what I'd call successful for myself in my business, it's still to do with golf. So you'd think that golf would still be a big factor for me when I go out and play and that I would still get angry, but I don't anymore. Whereas I see really successful business people, people who have billions of dollars even, and they hit a few bad shots and they literally can't take it. And I look at that and I, I don't understand it really. I mean, I do, but I don't as well. I look at it and say, well, yeah, obviously that person is frustrated. It's not matching their expectations. But I mean, don't they have the rest of their life sorted (laughs) to the point where it doesn't matter? That's an excellent point. And, And I've been on the course with people like that, people who are tremendously successful in other parts of life as you would imagine, to to build businesses, you know, achieve all these great things. They had probably tremendous setbacks along the way that they had to get through. But still, despite that, that part of their personality doesn't show up on the golf course. And again, I don't have the answer for that specifically. But one of my main thoughts on that was that when people take up golf, you know, no one sits people down and really talks to them what they can expect from this game. And we've mentioned in other episodes why golfers' expectations are so out of line, whether it's, you know, reading the the swing tips and the magazines and thinking they had it figured out from that, or watching pro golfers on TV, the highlight reel of, of live golf on TV of seeing the best players who are playing the absolute best. And I think that warps all of our expectations. And I'm trying to, and you are too, kind of unwind that a bit. But when we talk about the successful business person showing up on the course and, get, and going nuts after a few bad shots. You're like, well, wait a second. You know, this person has grit in real life, but they don't have it on the course. And again, my main thesis is a lot of it has to do with mismanaged expectations. And also to your point, their ego, because they're so successful elsewhere in life, they don't like being made a fool or embarrassed on the golf course in front of other people. So they just give up. Maybe this is the flip side of grit though. You can want something so bad that it ends up, you end up shooting yourself in the foot. You end up hurting your own performance. So I see this on a more of a bell curve. So they call it the optimal arousal state. You could think of it as the optimal focus state as well. So obviously on one side of the bell curve, you have too little focus. So this is me going out for a round with my buddies. We're playing six holes. So there's there's no score. Really, we're just going out to hit a few shots. And I'm going to try stupid things in that. I'm going to try and hit the ball as far as possible off the drive. I'm going to try and hit it as close to the pin as possible. I'm not going to do the things that I would in a tournament. And I'll probably get up to a 20-foot putt and just, you know, be very nonchalant about it, not really focus at all. And so when I'm on that end of the scale, I don't make high scores because I'm so relaxed and focused that I'm not going to really... you know, shoot myself in the foot by getting angry about stuff. I don't get angry in that state. But on the other end of the scale, I I don't score my best scores either in that state because I'm not focused enough. 
But then if, so there's a middle ground there. If I go the other end of the scale, I remember tournaments, which meant a lot to me as a kid. And I would get too focused. It would mean too much to me. And I would try too hard, whatever that means, right? And that affects your motor pattern then. You know, you, you start to do certain things that wouldn't normally happen. And so for me, there's a bell curve with this. I, I do think we need grit, but not to the point where <laughs> we get angry and we're trying so hard to achieve something that we end up getting angry and upset with ourselves and then it backfires on us. Well, I'm glad you brought it up that way because I don't necessarily view grit as someone like white knuckling it through the round. You know, like, <laughs> oh, I'm just trying so hard here. I'm going to grind over every four footer I've got and focus as hard as I can. I'm glad you brought that up because that's not what I want to tell people to do. I think you play your best golf or becoming a better golfer. It's like this perfect balance of not caring enough and not caring too much at the same time. So like, what do I mean by that? I mean that if you do hit like a shot out of bounds, you're like, oh, all right, you know what? That just happened. That's just part of golf. So you're like, I'm not going to beat myself up or, or go crazy. So you're not caring that much about a singular mistake. But at the same time, you do care about the game. You do care about your score because let's face it, you know, a lot of people put time into golf, they practice a lot, and they have expectations of improving and scoring lower. And that's okay. And not everyone has to play golf that way. You can just go out there and hit the ball and enjoy your time outside. You don't even have to keep score. This is really a conversation for people who are interested in, in, in lowering their scores and increasing their toolkit. So it's striking this balance, I think, of like you said, not caring so much that you're hanging on the result of every single swing, but at the same time, being able to kind of brush off the inevitable mistakes and errors that occur in every round of golf. So it's striking the sweet spot. <laughs> That's our plug here. We're always trying to get in that middle ground, I think, of being a golfer who can have a bit of, yes, the word I think grit is appropriate for when those bad things do occur. And and one example that I always bring up is, and it's kind of related to like being on tilt as a poker player or at the blackjack table is like, when you do hit that bad shot, let's say you do hit that shot into the trees. I think a lot of golfers, their instinct is they get angrier. Maybe they'll just get more aggressive. They feel like they're going to have to play an even better shot to recover. Their emotions and their you know, the negativity of that result kind of takes over at that point. And that's when I think bad things can happen in terms of compounding your mistake or even letting it bleed over into other holes and ruining your day and your score. That's what I view grit as, is being able to kind of like stop yourself and right the ship and stay in the moment the best you can. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I mean, as a kid, one of the things that I remember hearing from the commentators on TV was how Tiger was so good at turning what would look like a 75, 76, 77 into a 72. And they were talking about grit and how he was kind of never giving up on it. Yeah. Or even when he was on the about to miss a cut. I mean, how many times did you watch him and I watched him where it looked like he was going to miss the cut and then he would just manufacture something in the last few holes where a lot of other golfers kind of pack it in. 
they would say, oh, he forced that one in. And I, I don't really like stuff like that because obviously, unless you have telekinesis, you're not going to force yeah. a golf ball <laughs> in. But He didn't have Jedi mind tricks. Yeah, I mean, there, there is an interesting faction of psychology where, uh, which deals with focus and the kind of information that the brain absorbs. So I, I first heard about this from Tony Robbins when he talked about the reticular activating system. Don't worry, everybody. I won't say complicated words like that again. I'm not looking <laughs> that up, by the way. Um, the RAS. So basically, we, we all know this when we go and purchase or we, we're looking for a new car for example, and we're like, oh, what shall I get? And then all of a sudden you see a certain car and then everywhere that week you see that car on the road, right? It wasn't that it wasn't there before. It was always there. They were always around you in the environment. But now you've set a certain goal. Your brain is more aware of it. There are other examples of that where they ask people if they're lucky, if they feel like they're lucky or not. And people will rate themselves out of 10 on, on how lucky they feel they are. And then as they're walking away from the interviewer, they, there's someone has planted a $5 note on the floor. And they found that the people who rated themselves as lucky are something like twice as likely to see that $5 note on the floor. So again, it's not that it's not that some people are genuinely luckier than others. It's just that they may notice certain things in the environment that uh, once they've set themselves a certain goal or once they have a certain belief system, where am I going with this? Well, if you're standing over a putt and you have given up versus you're standing over the putt and you are, I don't want to say trying to hold it, but you believe you can hold it. There's some kind of something in your brain that is there saying you're going to hold this you're more likely to absorb the information relating to the correct speed and the correct line when you're in that state of mind than when you're in the I've given up state of mind. So there is there's certainly something psychological there that I, I believe there's plenty of science to back that up as to how someone may be able to force, in air quotes, the ball into the hole. Tiger probably just believed that he could hold it more than other people. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously he had the skill to back it up, but, you know, again, the brain is complicated and psychology is complicated, but I've seen it in my own game and I've been around enough golfers to see a trend increase of those two situations that you talk about. When I've checked out of rounds or I've witnessed other golfers who have checked out of rounds, you can see their focus on the task at hand is not very good. Whereas, again, I'm not suggesting people have to white knuckle it. Whereas if you have the commitment of saying like, I'm not going to give up, I'm going to stay engaged in this and just see what happens. I believe it. And and I've seen it in my own game where I, I've stayed engaged in those rounds. And you talk about the golfer who I, I was, where I was probably like, what did it take for me to get from like a four or five, six handicap down to scratch and beyond? You know, you talked about, you know, making the scores. One of the main things I could tell you is that the days where I might have used to shoot like an 82, 83, 84, if I wasn't playing that well, I can now turn those rounds into a 76. And a lot of that has to do with my skill from practice and, you know, smart targets and all that stuff. 
But I also think a lot of it's because I'm just committed more to not giving up and staying engaged in the round and accessing all of my toolbox as a golfer so that, you know, when I don't have it physically, I can still put a good score up relative to where I used to be. And that, to me, that's satisfying for me. It might not be satisfying for everyone, but, you know, if you do want to lower your handicap, you can't have it both ways. Like you're going to have to do some of this because not every day you're going to have it. And on those days where you don't have it, that's where you're going to have to probably dig a little deeper with your focus and your process. Because on those days, those are the days where you just, you're dying to give up because you just want to like let yourself out of it almost. But that's, that's part of the path to becoming a better golfer. I like what you said about just it's staying engaged. I think that's a nice balanced version of, of grit or grind is staying in that optimal state of arousal, not white knuckling it and trying too hard, but at the same time, not giving up. And there are loads of examples where people go to the wrong end of the spectrum and come back. So for example, say someone's had a really good front nine. And they look at their scorecard and they're like, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to have my best round ever here. What do they do? They try so hard for the next few holes and then they implode before they eventually go, oh, you know what? I'm done. I've ruined my score. I'm just going to relax now. And then all of a sudden they start playing well again. So they're, yeah, basically, they're like, oh, maybe I will keep this score now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've played, played those games myself. I've been there. <laughs> but there's the opposite as well, where you have a, a bad front nine. And you look at it and you're like, oh, I've tried so hard. I feel exhausted after that front nine. I'm just going to give up and relax for the next. Not not give up necessarily, but they relax a little bit. So they take themselves from white knuckling it all the way back into that optimal state of arousal. And then they start playing well from there. So that's why we have in the clubhouse two guys saying, oh, I had a great front nine and I completely imploded on the back nine. And on the other side of the room, there's I had an awful front nine and I really played well on the back nine when I just gave up control a little bit. So again, I, I just think it's about not not being on either end of the spectrum, but being in that middle ground, that optimal arousal state. And one of the, one of the games that I remember having as a kid, it was a real turning point for me in my life philosophy, was I remember traveling all the way to North Wales. So it was like a three or four hour journey in the car for a tournament. And you know, I warmed up and I was hitting it well on the on the tee, on the, on the range. And I went to the first tee. It was a long walk up there. We started on the ninth, and there was a crowd forming. And uh, it got to my my turn, and I teed it up. And there's about ten, fifteen people watching. And I hit my first one, bang, out of bounds. I was like, oh god, I've travelled all the way up here. My first shot is out of bounds teed up another one okay okay you can do this you can stay in this game bang out of bounds i was like oh you are kidding me and you just want to walk off at that, <laughs> uh, at that point i'm like okay this game is almost lost but maybe i can get yeah, something out of like it an inkling of hope there teed up another one out of bounds it's like i had the guys behind me were laughing you know it was it was a junior tournament but they were they were pretty much laughing and not not uh hiding it so i said right the game is lost i'm just gonna stay in this and see almost as a punishment to myself i was so angry that i was going to punish myself by forcing myself to grind it out does that make sense and that's really weird mindset when you're hiring for your small business you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role 
That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you cannot find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to a new perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Also on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Just recently, they even launched a new feature that helps you write your job description, making the process even easier and quicker. And they know that small business owners like myself and Adam are wearing so many hats and might not have the resources to hire, so it's a great place to get help. Now here's what you can do. Post your job for free at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, I think to me, it's building this really good habit. And again, this is optional. If you do, I think it, 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 if you want to become better, it, it, I believe it's a requirement or at least partial requirement. You don't have to be perfect at anything we say on this show. I'm just looking for people to get incrementally better. Don't say 1% better. I hate that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's just, it's. I don't view anything as all or nothing. So if we said someone like, oh, we don't want you to give up anymore on your rounds, like, I don't expect you to do that from here on to eternity in your golf game. But if you did it in 50% of your rounds versus not doing it at all, well, I think you're going to see some nice improvement over time. That to me is what incremental progress is, is like you're kind of building a habit and getting better and better at it over time. Yeah, I like that. I just don't like the graph where people show 1% better and they show compounding. It's like, yeah, compound interest is one thing. Compounding performance is not the same. You can't get 1% better in performance. It's all different ways to say the same thing. And then sometimes, I guess, in the communication process, it can get a little hairy. But what I've found, and, and I'm someone who still competes in 10 to 15 stroke play events a year, I found that the habit of, again, staying, whether we want to call it grit or staying in the moment or at least not giving up, whatever we want to call this, I found that even in what you said, in, in the round that you knew you weren't going to make the cut or whatever your result was for that tournament or finish in a top 10, whatever you wanted to do, there still was value in sticking out the round. And there's so many of these situations I've had over the last five or six years. I'll just, one of them comes to mind. I've, I've, I've had tons of them. I was playing, I think it was the US Mid-Am qualifier. This is probably three or four years ago. And this is an event where it's one day and you're going to have to shoot minus one to minus three, depending on the the setup and the players involved. And it's always a tough setup. So, you know, you know, going in there, you're going to need to play really well. And I, I didn't have real expectations of making it. But in any event, I found myself by the seven or eighth hole, I had a string of double bogeys. And like, it was tough to stomach. There were some really bad breaks I was getting. And like, to be honest with you, I wanted to walk off the course. I, I literally just, I'm like, I do not want to be here right now. I, I need to get out of here. But you know, out of respect to my playing partners, one of them was playing really well. Like I just wanted to step aside and, and not do anything stupid. So 
I just said to myself, like, all right, you are going to finish this round. You're not going to give up. You're going to dig a little deep here, have a little grit, and you're just going to play and see what happens. And I stayed engaged on every shot. And I think I finished the next 11 holes at one under and I shot like a 77 or 78, which if you play in like a U.S. Open qualifier or U.S. Mid-Am and you shoot like a 95, you're going to get a letter from the USGA saying pretty much saying like, hey, you lied about your handicap. You're being warned now because I've played in U.S. Open qualifiers where you see golfers there and you're like, there's no way that guy's handicap is lower than a one. There's some vanity handicaps out there and you don't want to get this letter. So anyways, I had no chance of making that cut. But me being able to shoot in the high 70s where it looked like things could have gone like, I mean, I was on a bad path. I could have shot a 90. It, it, It was getting bad. But I just kind of stuck with it. I didn't white knuckle it. I just kind of was like, all right, just enjoy yourself out here. You know, it's still a nice day. You're still playing at a cool golf course. And that that experience, although I didn't make it that round, I used that in other rounds where it actually has led to me shooting the score I need to to make a cut, whether that's an even par, or one over, something like that. Because there were tough moments in those rounds too. And I guess my main thesis here is, is that if you get in the habit of giving up in those rounds and not being engaged at all for the rest of your time on the course, it will spill over to other rounds of golf. So you're developing this, what I believe is a poor habit of just kind of hitting the eject button early on when things are going poorly. That's what I'm trying to get golfers to buy in a little bit more into. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, it's it's like a muscle, and that's what I've told the juniors that I I play with. It's a little harder to tell adults how to live, but to tell juniors that this grit thing is like a muscle, and that every round you have, you can learn something from it, right? Even if it's a ninety, whether it's learning a new shot or what not to do in a certain situation, you can learn something. And you can also use, this is this is how I'd say it to, to the kids, is every time you're having a bad round, this is the perfect opportunity to grow your grit muscle. And you will need that later on in life because this is just a practice round now with your friends. But one day you want to be on the big stage. I know not everybody could make it, but one day you want to be on the big stage and you will need this muscle. You'll need it like a Arnold Schwarzenegger bicep. So you better start working on it now. And it just helped a lot of the kids, I think. Not all of them, but it helped a lot of the kids to see, you know what? Yeah, I can take something from this round. And it helped me as well to see it like that. The more I started talking to the kids about that I started adding that in my own game as well as a coach and so while golf means less to me now I'm also less likely to to give up on it but if you can walk off around the golf and say I didn't leave a shot out there from lack of attention that to me is grit that brings me to an important point because you know if people are listening to this and they're like all right so what do i do we want to give people actionable advice in every episode of this show i want to get to the solution part or at least what i believe is is the solution and and maybe adam you'll have a different opinion than me this is incredibly simple and you can file this away and easier said than done because a lot of the stuff like this that i talk about concepts like these where you, maybe it's a mental concept 
it might sound easy right now when you're listening to it in a bubble, but it's way harder to do it in the moment on the golf course when when you're fighting those urges where you're just like, oh, I just want to get out of here because this is just torture to me right now. I think it's a simple commitment to go through a routine before every shot. I have a pre-shot routine where I'm thinking about, you know, I'm analyzing my targets. I, I'm I'm thinking what's the smartest shot I could play. Now I got two practice swings. I do an alignment thing and I step up and I hit it. My commitment to myself every time I'm playing golf, whether it's a tournament, whether I'm playing in Nassau with my friends on the weekend, or even, you know, just playing by myself for fun, my commitment to myself is to go through that routine no matter what and take that time, whether it's, you know, could be 10, 20 seconds that I go through and I'm just mentally engaged in that shot. I have a target. And I'm trying to execute it and I'm living with the results either way. I think just making that commitment to a routine can change a lot for a lot of players who aren't doing something like that. And you can call it grit, whatever. That's been my solution to it. And when I watch other golfers who I believe have a decent amount of grit, that's what I see. You know, no matter what's going on, they're going to go through that process and give this shot the attention that it deserves versus, you know, maybe losing your temper or like cracking open 20 beers like that. Again, that that's your prerogative. I don't want to tell people what to do. It's just this is a game improvement podcast. So this is all in the context of you getting better as a golfer. That's my solution to the to the problem is just being committed to a process. And again, you don't have to white knuckle it. You don't have to go crazy. You're not trying super hard. You're just thinking about what you're doing and, and trying to execute to a target. That's what golf is. I'm very similar to you. I like the routine idea, committing to a routine so you're going through a process. I also, in, in my own game, and I do teach some others to do this, is at the end of the round, kind of go through, or even during the round, kind of go through and, and make a little tally of how many shots you hit where you didn't give it that attention that it deserved. So, you know, that four-foot putt that you just walk up and tap, try to tap in because you don't want to damage your ego if you miss it. Even if you hold that putt, put a little mark down and say, you know what, I didn't really, I didn't really give that the attention that it deserved. You know, if that was for a million dollars, would you have done that differently? Yes, okay, then we'll put a tally down on that one, put a check mark down. And so at the end of a game of golf, you just want to make that that score as low as possible. Yeah, a lot of people refer to that as the mental scorecard, I think is what you're alluding to, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, mental scorecard. I use it for different things. Like I say, if, if someone needs more grit, then that's what we're going to focus on. If someone needs more focus on a certain swing cue, for example, say they're a shanker and we give them a swing cue that helps that shank, then I'll give them a scorecard that they have to rate out of 10 how focused they were on that mental cue. So if it's, you know, put your hands in a certain position at the end of a shot, they say, oh, you know what? I was focused maybe seven out of 10. I was a little distracted by the target. And so, yeah, there's, there's lots of ways to use that mental scorecard. Using it for grit would be putting down a mark every time you didn't pay full attention to a shot as if it was, you know, very valuable, worth a million dollars. I believe post-round analysis is one of the more important things any golfers can do. I know that pretty much every round I play, I kind of sit down afterwards. Some people like to write stuff down. I just kind of like replay the the round in my head and just think about 
that's how I got to get cues on my practice. Like, oh, was I uncomfortable over my 50-yard wedge shots today? Was it my tee shots? I'm thinking about, you know, what shots felt uncomfortable over technique-wise. So maybe I need to work on that a little bit. I think about, did I make any strategic mistakes? Oh, maybe I got a little aggressive with that target on the approach had I aimed a little bit more to the right, maybe I wouldn't have been in that bunker. So I'm thinking about stuff like that. And then to your point, there could be some moments because again, I'm not perfect. (laughs) I make plenty of mental mistakes myself still. Maybe I was a little hot. My temper was flaring a little bit on that tee shot. Maybe that's why I I didn't hit it as well. I'm thinking about what my mental state was before the shots and, and potentially maybe I wasn't fully committed to the shot. That could be a negative tick and saying like, okay, you know, I'm not. And I noticed this last summer, I was having a much harder time in tournaments mentally, probably just because it was a crazy year with COVID and still is. Um, I think it affected me during tournaments. I just, I was having a lot harder time focusing for whatever reason. And I thought about that after the rounds. I'm like, I just, I wasn't there as much as I used to be maybe in prior years. And I noticed it. So I think, you know, sitting back and reflecting upon a round is an incredibly worthwhile thing that golfers should do. Yeah, definitely. I always used to, well, writing stats, but doing mental things as well. I always replay some of the bad shots in my head, some of the good shots in my head, try and go through what the score could have been as well, because that was always motivating to me. And then, as you said, try and figure out what you need to practice. As you were going through that, diatribe is that right is that that's what that's what that's what this show that's what this show is it's just you and me going on diatribes back and forth as you're going through that something kind of hit home to me as well i remember as a kid one of the hardest things to to have that grind muscle and to keep going was if i hit a hook out of bounds as a kid, I didn't know how to fix that during the round, or I didn't know what it was causing it. It was just, oh, that's a bad shot. Oh, I hope that's not with me for the rest of the round. So I think there is an important thing in that knowing how to fix things or how to neutralize issues helps a hell of a lot when it comes to grinding it out. Because if you're hitting bad shot after bad shot and you just haven't got a clue what's going on, all the trying in the world... <laughs> It's not going to make you any better. So, I mean, you need to – That that's why, obviously, as an instructor, I'm going to promote this because I'm promoting my stuff. But learning how to fix the common issues before you need the fix. I mean, you need to know, you need to know how to fix a shank in a toe shot. Even if you're flushing it the day before, you better know how to fix a shank in the toe shot because it could occur at any time. It could pop up mid-round. And you need to know how to fix a hook and a slice and a fat and a thin. Those are the main faults that you need to know how to fix. If you can do that, then you can go out there and it's a case of keeping your attention and, yeah, not not giving up at all. That's the beautiful thing about golf to me is that everything is connected and there has to be a balance in your game. So like what you said, you could be the greatest grinder in the world, but if you don't have the skill or the ability to modify that skill during a round, it's not going to help you. So that's why, you know, some of the other episodes we've been discussing are so important is that it all works together. So I've been around golfers who have far better technique than me, and I see them all the time in tournaments. I play in with a lot of college kids. And I see them. They are far better at me in terms of the swing and their technique. But what I what I know I have more than them, probably because of my age at this point, I'm 15 to 17 years older than most of them, is that 
I can control my emotions better than they can. So I, I've been in plenty of rounds where I've seen kids with beautiful golf swings, but then they just go absolutely insane after pumping one out of bounds and then the round's done. Whereas, again, I'm not a perfect golfer, but if you talk about the old John versus me now, I, and you mentioned this before, I have the confidence in my skill. And also, I think I have a little bit more mental fortitude where I have... I have the ability to say like, okay, things are not going well now, but I think I'm good enough and I can make some adjustments to turn this around. And if I can't, that's okay too. That's just golf. So I think the skill, you know, the physical skill and the ability to modify that skill is obviously incredibly important. But at the same time, having, you know, the mind part of it, which is tough to quantify because it's the brain. That's why I kind of come back to the simplicity of having your process, going through it, and being cognizant of what's going on. Like you said, if you had some early misses in the round, you said where you hooked one out of bounds, you're like, okay, rather than getting angry at it, what could I do right now to hopefully neutralize this? And the two are connected because you're going to stay engaged in the round and try and solve that problem rather than just viewing it as this insurmountable fork in the road, I guess. You, you have a choice to go one way or the other. That, that, that is a little philosophical. I'm sorry, but all of this stuff's very connected, the technique and, and, and the, the mindset part of it. It is. I mean, I wrote an article recently on, I think it's called Why I'm More Stable Now, because <laughs> I was a complete nutcase as a kid as well. And yeah, there's so many factors that go into that. Like my understanding of what creates a bad shot has improved. So if I hook it out of bounds, I'm not lost. It's not voodoo. It's like, okay, the face was too close to the path. Also, my ability to fix that has improved dramatically because I've practiced those things. So I'm not, I'm not out there going, oh, I'm completely lost here. I know what to do and I have a good ability to, to change it. Also, you know, just general philosophy, every shot is a learning experience. Every round is a learning experience. So like I said, if I shoot 90, but I can walk, not that I shoot 90, I don't want listeners thinking that, but if I shoot 90 and I walk away from that round saying I grew my grit muscle, I grinded that out, I didn't give up on that. That is valuable because next round, a year later, that's going to help me or even in life, that's going to help me. But also understanding of stats, right? If you if you stand on a tee thinking pros hit 100% fairways, it's going to be a lot harder to, to grind it out when you hit 60% fairways. Whereas if you hit 60% fairways and you know that that's what the pros average is, is you don't even need the grind there because there is no grind. It's just this is normal golf. So... Yeah, there's so many factors that go into it. Hey, I didn't finish my story. I had just knocked three shots out of bounds after traveling to this this event. And the rain just started. And now you don't know what rain is until you've been in Wales when it's raining. And I said to myself, it was almost like golf self-harm. I said, I'm, I'm going to stay out here and punish myself. I'm going to grind it out. I am not going to give up for this. I, I took 11 up the first hole and I didn't give up. And I think the combination of that, me not giving up, and me also relaxing a little bit, because on the first tee, I was nervous as hell. But when you take an 11 up the first, it's like, what's the point in being nervous now? So I relaxed a lot. And the fact the rain was there as well, I think the rain caused the rest of the field to kind of give up a little bit. 
And I ended up shooting one of my best 17 holes ever. I think I was about four or five under or something. All I remember is I finished second in the tournament. I didn't win it, but I finished second. And from that point, that taught me so many different things. Like I said, relax a little bit. You can you can be too amped up and trying too hard on the first tee. And that doesn't help. But you don't want to be too relaxed either. You still got to stay in every shot. Anything can happen, and whatever happens on the first tee doesn't necessarily determine the rest of the round as well. I think that is something, a myth that people have in their head, is if they start hitting a few bad shots, that means that the rest of it is going to be bad. That's just not the case. There's no logical or there's no evidence for that being the case. The next shot could be the best one in, in your life. You never know. Oh, I, I did the first whole thing is so ridiculous to me because I've had some of my best rounds after, you know, bogey, double bogey on the first hole. And I've had some of my worst rounds with like that opening birdie curse. I was watching, I forget what tournament it was, but like, and I don't want to call out the announcer by name, but he was, <laughs> he was like, let's watch how uh, Jordan Spieth's first putt on the first hole and we'll know how his day is going. And I tweeted something about it. I'm like, how the hell? Can we know how Jordan Spieth's round is going to go based on how he hits the seven footer? It's a binary event. He either makes it or doesn't make it. And, you know, yes, if he makes it, that might give him a little psychological boost. But if he doesn't make it, you know, his his round's not done either. And it's stuff like that that I think we hear as golfers that does remove the ability to kind of stay with the round because you feel like this feeling of being doomed by early mistakes and it's just not the case 18 holes is a really long time for a lot of different things to happen good and bad that's an interesting one because there is the balance there i almost see both sides of the coin there in that if he does hold that first seven footer it shouldn't in theory it shouldn't affect the rest of the round but if it affects his confidence that might affect what his brain absorbs which might affect you know subsequent putts so i think that is potentially a good mindset to have but on the other end of the scale you don't you don't want to say that if he misses the putt that's going to affect the rest of it so i think the best mindset to have is when you hold a putt Okay, this is good. I can make more of I can make more of these. Yeah, you can internalize internalize the good things and then if something bad happens, you can I think pro golfers are really good about this. They blame it on something else. You see them like tapping the spike marks that aren't there. I think pro golfers are so good at deflecting bad things. They'll just be like, "Oh, that was something else's fault." Exactly. Will you dust it off? Which always isn't constructive because I've seen a lot of recreational golfers blame everything on everyone else. And that certainly doesn't help either. So there's no 100% right answer, but I certainly wouldn't use each shot as a litmus test over you know where things are going. On the bad side of it, okay, you hit a bad shot, you should dust it off and also have the understanding that just because I hit that one bad shot, that doesn't mean the next one is going to be bad. So I think you can get the best of both worlds there mentally. But I suppose the more you understand about this, the harder it is to actually get the best of the both worlds. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell a quick story too, just to kind of, I probably should have told this in the beginning, but I don't want to make myself seem like I'm some golf guru who gets everything right because I'm out on the course struggling with all these things with the rest of you. But I'll, I'll talk about it. You know, a moment where it was probably the lowest point of golf for me, where I knew I had to change things in my approach to the game. And I, I mentioned this in that same article I alluded to earlier, the the formula for golf happiness. 
I remember it vividly because it was so stupid and embarrassing and painful for me, but it was an important moment. It was probably like maybe 10 or 12 years ago. And this was a time when I wasn't really playing a lot of golf. I was kind of in this horrible scenario where like I was still good enough to shoot in the 70s, but I was only playing like maybe 15 or 20 times a year and I wasn't practicing enough. So I was like in this bizarre limbo where I could play well or I could play like really badly. And what would happen is, is I would go out on the course with these ridiculous expectations. If things went wrong early, I'd you know lose my temper, sulk. And on this day, I was playing golf with my dad down in Florida on a family trip, which was supposed to be a, a fun time. And I'll, I'll just tell everyone how I ruined that day with, with my bad, no grit, whatever you want to call this. But, you know, early on the round, I wasn't playing well. I had some poor shots and like, you know, I was just hanging on the balance on every shot. Like if one went well, I was like, yes, if one went poorly, I would like go nuts. And by the 14th, I remember it was on the 14th hole, I hit a perfect drive, just like piped it. And there's a long par four, there's water up the right side. And I think I had an eight iron. And I said to myself, you better hit this on the green. You better not hit this in the water because I was just so angry at myself and I wanted to hit a, a good shot after my previous good shot. So what did I do? What do you think I did, Adam? Hit it in the water. Yeah, I hit it. I mean, I just like blocked this thing like 60 yards to the right and something in my brain exploded. I wouldn't say I have a temper problem, but I took my eight iron and I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I just want to kind of humble myself to everyone just to show you that I've, I've struggled with these things too. I launched my eight iron at the golf cart I can't believe I threw it at the cart, which I, as, as soon as the club left my hand, I was like, oh my God, how'd you do that? What it did was it severed my driver and then the driver head like popped up in the air and was like floating end over end. It was like all this was happening in slow motion and it perfectly impaled itself into the fairway. So you have this like broken driver head that's perfectly stuck in the middle of the fairway and my dad looks at me, he doesn't say anything, it just walks off the course. And that moment was like literally the lowest point of of my golf life not the lowest point of my life I've, I've probably done stupider things than that but i just knew in that moment i'm like all right something has to change with my relationship to this game because that that's i i can't be doing stuff like that that's insane i looked like a lunatic and i think that was kind of like my low point and then since then since i got back into playing the game more I, I can't remember another time that that's happened where I've lost my temper like that just because I, I committed to myself that I wouldn't do something so egregiously embarrassing, stupid, whatever you want to call it again. But I just figure I'd embarrass myself with that story with everyone just to show you that like I've, I've had my struggles too in this game where I've lost my temper and my expectations are out of line and I had zero grit. It's a tough thing. It's It's not easy to do and we all struggle with it. I've got my own story like that, which is incredibly embarrassing for me. I probably shouldn't even Let's say hear it. it. Let's hear it. Come on. I was 18 and my golf performance or actually my ability to go to college depended on my golf performance. So I had to get my handicap down to a certain level in order to get on the degree program that I wanted to get on. So there was a hell of a lot of pressure on me. And I remember finishing this tournament and I was, I was three under par coming into the last three holes and I just imploded on the last three holes. And I got to the last hole and I <laughs> hit the ball in the bunker. I got into the bunker and I duffed it. 
So you can imagine the pressure going on. So I'm trying to kind of make people realize why I was such a nutcase back then. But I did a few things <laughs> that I'm not very proud of. I broke the rake. <laughs> I threw my putter over the hedge. <laughs> and then I walked over to my golf trolley. What do you call them? A buggy? Yeah, golf cart. That's what you, that's what you guys call them over yeah. there. The pull cart. And I kicked both wheels off, <laughs> kicked my bag over, and then walked off. I'm sorry I'm laughing then, at that. Oh, it's horrendous. I feel this. so embarrassed. I mean, bear in mind, this is like 20 years ago. So I'm, I'm, I'm over this now. I'm not this type of person now. But yeah. the kicker to that was standing on the 18th tee, watching all this, and I knew it, was the head pro, the head coach, who was like my idol. Right, that that golf coach was my idol because he's just like so knowledgeable about the golf swing, and I just I I looked up to him so much. He was watching me, and I knew it, as was the golf club secretary and the club captain. And afterwards, it was probably the greatest thing. But the, I worked at the shop, so I was I had a shift afterwards, and I was working in the shop, and the head coach walks in. And I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. <laughs> and he said, Adam, can you come upstairs, please? I'm like, yeah. And I just, I broke down in tears. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I, that was just horrendous. He was so good with me. He didn't tell me off. He just said, look, I can see you're going through a lot of stress. I can't remember exactly what he said, but he just made me, it was almost like I'm disappointed in you. You know, those ones where if the parent argues with you. Yeah, that was like my dad not saying anything and walking off the golf course. Like that was the worst thing that could have happened to me. <laughs> exactly. And from that point on, I made a commitment to myself. It was, again, it was almost like a golf inversion of self-harm in that when I was angry, I was going to flip that anger on myself and say, you know what? I'm not even going to give you the satisfaction of being angry. Because it's cathartic, right? When you snap a club, it feels good. It lets out a lot of anger. I would get so angry with myself, I would say, I'm not even going to let you have that benefit of snapping a club. And so I kind of flipped it on myself. And you know what? After years of doing that and training, I lost the urge to do it. At first, it was like the duck swimming on water. Looks calm on the outside, but underneath it's paddling like hell. But after a while of doing it, of, of not allowing myself to have that outburst, I lost the need to do it. So it was, it was another training for me. So yeah, there's uh, it's an interesting story. I probably lost a lot of respect from people, but please, everybody, that was 20 years ago. Cut me some slack, please. <laughs> I, <laughs> I embarrassed and whatever else you want to call it to one of the people I love and respect most in this world. And yeah, my dad... After I made it back to the clubhouse and saw him, he forgave me for it and we were okay. But, you know, just seeing him in that moment, like, I don't think I'd ever seen my dad do something like that where he was that disappointed in me where he just like walked away. So I think we've just shared two moments with everyone that are probably embarrassing. But at the same point, they were learning moments. And I'm sure everyone has a moment like that relative to their game. Maybe they didn't go as crazy as we did, but it happened. I can't grind out any more of this conversation. We're up to yeah. an hour. I'm we're up done. to our hour. I'm out of grit. <laughs> we're out of grit here, and maybe our listeners are too. What's your closing thoughts on this? If you have a piece of actionable advice for anyone who's made it this far. 
try and treat each shot as if it's worth X amount of dollars in terms of paying attention to it. So whatever, use whatever floats your boat, something that's realistic. So imagine if each shot was worth $100. How would you pay attention to it? Now, that doesn't mean you get angry. doesn't mean you get upset and snap clubs, but it means you pay attention to that shot and you try for that shot. You go through your full routine. Yeah, I think if you can walk off the course saying, I gave every single shot that kind of attention, I think you're developing your grit muscle. I'm glad we kind of explored all the different our definitions of grit and golf because it probably started off most people thinking that I wanted them to uh, just be like grinding their teeth and white knuckling it through the round. And I absolutely don't want that. I think my recommendation is similar. It's just you're, you're making a commitment to yourself that you're going to go through a process before each shot that's somewhat analytical and non-emotional and focus and, and really think about what you're doing. You don't have to spend two minutes. Just you know have a routine, go through it, and make a commitment to doing that no matter what happens. And I can tell you I've gotten so many messages from golfers who've read articles where I've talked about stuff like that. And I know it can have a large impact on a lot of your games and more importantly, your enjoyment of the game too. I think you'll get a lot more satisfaction. So that's my closing thought. Adam, where can everyone find you on the interwebs? On www.adamyanggolf.com <laughs> forward slash. Uh, you can actually, in my next level golf program, I discuss a lot of these topics. So I've got a psychology module. We go through routine. I've got the most in-depth module on routine you'll ever see, as well as stuff like the mental scorecard as well. John, where can everybody find you? You can find me on the interwebs at practical-golf.com. Make sure you type in that .com. It's really important to access it. We are in spring now, so I've been working behind the scenes on new deals on awesome products that I test and like myself. So check out our deals section, sign up for the newsletter, and you can always talk to us on Twitter at Practical Golf and at Adam Young Golf. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.